Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 29th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Disney's The Lion King. Ben went to the set of this film, and we're going to hear all about it, and we're going to hear an interview with director John Favreau. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. It's uh, Monday again. And uh, uh, today we're talking about the Lion King set visit, which is unusual because usually we talk about these set visits leading up to the film's release. But we're talking about this after the film has hit theaters. Why is that? Yeah. So basically what happened was uh, Disney decided that the the stuff that we learned on the set visit, I think, and this is sort of like me speculating i didn't get like an official answer on this but i I think it's that the stuff that we learned on the set visit is uh, a lot of technical aspects of like actually how john favreau and his team made this movie and it seems to me as if disney wanted to people to just experience the movie as a thing you know on its own without necessarily being uh, impacted or clouded in any way by thinking about how it was made which like I can understand because this movie is so technically uh, yeah. advanced. It, it totally makes sense if that was actually their mentality here. 
Yeah, you don't want to be watching this movie thinking about how these lions are working. So, so when you visited the set of The Lion King, they, they flew you out to Africa? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because uh, I, I actually I felt like I was standing on the African savanna and I, I got to see Pride Rock and uh, the sky looked incredible. This giant rhinoceros rumbled past a couple feet right next to me. But I was actually in uh, what they call Silicon Beach, which is like Playa Vista, California. It's, I don't know, about an hour away from my house in Los Angeles. And it's sort of where like Google and Facebook and Instagram and all of those companies have offices and it was just basically in a in a what looked to be like a nondescript building and that's where they shot this whole thing and the reason that I got to see all of that African savanna stuff was because I was looking at it through a VR headset which I'm sure if you've seen behind the scenes photos of Favreau and his team at this point you you realize that most of this movie was made in virtual reality before it actually you know was translated and and uh, I guess like the, the way that they explained it to us was they they shot it in like a basic version in virtual reality and then, you know, got all the, the shots fixed and the character movements correct and all that stuff. And then they handed that off to a team of animators that like refined all of that into the, you know, photorealistic version that you see on screen. Hmm. See, I was on the set of The Jungle Book, which was filmed in like downtown Los Angeles in like a, a studio warehouse. Uh, but with that, there was a a human actor who was being filmed live. And then there was, you know, people doing performances around him. And there was a little bit of like set design. Any place mm-hmm. that he walked, there was set design. But here, like the entire frame is computer created, right? Yeah, it was wild. It was so uh, if you guys watch the video that I made about uh, how Digital Domain and the team at Weta created Thanos, you probably know that they shot a lot or they shoot a lot of these movies in what is called a volume, which is like a huge empty room, basically, that has cameras and stuff placed around it and markers and stuff on the ground for them to be able to to figure figure out the, the visual effects angle. And that's what happened here. They They took the cast into this room and they recorded them uh with you know uh they had like a bunch of different cameras and stuff but it wasn't like motion capture or performance capture they weren't trying to uh, they didn't put dots on their faces to get the actual um expressions from the actor to transfer in a one-to-one way over to the lion because it doesn't really work that way (laughs) so what they did this time was basically they just shot the actors walking around and uh, interacting with each other and just sort of tracked how they moved within a space. So like if a character would shoot a glance, if an actor would shoot a glance at another actor, um, they would mark that down and hand that to the animators and they would try to incorporate little things like that into the animations of the lions or the hyenas or whatever. Um, So it it wasn't necessarily like a, uh, you know, like Robin Williams standing in the booth and, and them trying to capture his, his facial uh, performance in animation because as you guys know from the what what we see in this version of the lion king there's not really much um, expressiveness going on with these photorealistic animals faces so it was more about body language and distance between characters and stuff like that it's a really fascinating approach yeah and i've been to some sets like say uh, john carter of mars like the alien creatures there are taller so they had to like wear like these heads on top of 
the the actor's head to mm-hmm. represent the eye line, so the actors could be looking at that. There was there anything like that here, where like they had to represent how tall or big these different animals were? Um, I don't think so because they weren't really they they weren't really um trying to capture like uh, eye lines in the exact. Yeah. You know, it was more just like a a vague sense of like how, you know, if a person is scared, uh, it was almost like a like incorporating aspects of like a stage production into um, the the basic information that Favreau and his team would hand off to these uh, artists who try to incorporate all that stuff into the visual effects of the movie. And they had, you know, you mentioned every single shot was filmed in virtual reality and and filmed in CG, like created out of nothing. You know, the Lion King, the difference there is that you had a human element, you had actual cameras filming this kid with a bunch of blue screen backgrounds and stuff. Here, you actually have a camera, but it's not a film camera. It's like a, a camera that is hooked into the VR world. And they had, one of the really interesting things was they had like a Steadicam rig and like a crane with a, you know, like a like a jib arm where a camera would normally be hung from that. And they actually had like, um, like dolly tracks on the ground, which are like these metal tubes where you you can roll like a wheel mounted cart across it and to sort of create this smooth tracking shot effect. So they had all of that actually in this volume, this empty, this huge empty warehouse basically, but it was all connected to the virtual space. So they were telling me that they had, they had 15 feet of dolly tracks, right? That's all they had. And it sort of curved a little bit, but they were explaining that like it's because it's all encoded data it, they can change how long the dolly track in the shot actually oh. is. So so they can do a 15-foot dolly track in VR where one foot equals one foot, or they can do this 15-foot dolly track uh, in the real world where one foot in the virtual world equals, you know, 50 feet. So they can track, you know, 150 feet in VR that where the camera sort of goes over a mountain and has a loop in it or something, even though they're moving in the same physical space in that volume. It's like it's sort of like mind blowing stuff to think about. That is crazy. I mean, I have experienced like. Even as long ago, I, I think some people will think this is ridiculous, but like, you know, for uh, Monsters vs. Aliens, that DreamWorks animated animation movie, I remember experiencing for the first time that virtual camera where you could walk around Rome and like film what has been animated from whatever mm-hmm. angle you wanted. Like, film, like studios like DreamWorks and Pixar have been doing that for a while now to try to get a less you know, you know when you have those like large sweeping shots that like go over a mountain i think you you, you just mentioned uh sometimes it can f- feel like it's in, you're in a computer like it's too mm-hmm. perfect and like people have been trying to make it feel more handheld but now it, it's insane that you can make a 15 feet of dolly track be you know thousands of feet yeah 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 <laughs> um what else were you impressed with with what with what you saw on set um, I mean, there was so much, and I, I wrote this extensive uh, behind-the-scenes set visit piece that I would encourage everybody to read because I, I basically I, I went to the set, Peter, in on December seventh, twenty seventeen, and today <laughs> is when they finally released the embargo. So it's been you know a long time coming, and I, I spent a long time uh, off and on just sort of like chipping away at this piece and trying to get it to a point where. Um, where people can understand how this movie was actually made. And I, I'm really, really proud of how it turned out because I think uh, I was able to translate this tech speak into something that that people can actually wrap their brains around a little bit. Um, but there's some really, I mean, kind of, again, mind-blowing stuff where it's like 
that there's a separate piece that I talked about where, um, or that I wrote where the, the filmmakers and everybody involved talked about how the technology that they they're using on this movie could change inter- entertainment as we know it today. And Rob Legato, who's a, a Oscar winning Oscar winning visual effects supervisor who worked on Avatar and a bunch of other stuff, he worked on The Jungle Book with John Favreau, basically talked about how you can make The Godfather again with this technology and I'll, I'll just sort of leave that as a little tease for people to go read that article. But they, they that, mentioned like, that's frightening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it, it is. It's kind of strange. They mentioned like how artificial intelligence could factor into this because, you know, especially with this creating everything in a virtual world first, when I was a kid, Peter, I, I always used to wonder like, what did my favorite characters, what were they doing when the camera wasn't on them? You know, before I understood actually how movies were made. Yeah. And the this guy, uh, Ben Grossman, who was a virtual production supervisor who uh, won an Oscar for his work on Martin Scorsese's Hugo, he was telling us that basically, what this can be is sort of like a real life Westworld scenario where if you create a world in virtual reality like they did for the Lion King and you're just over here you know at the at Pride Rock filming you know with a virtual camera filming actions of some characters that doesn't mean necessarily that the rest of the world around it that you've created has to stop if you if you put artificial intelligence into that, that world new stories can form that you don't even have any awareness of what's going on. And you, you might have to just, you know, turn the camera around and see what's going on. You know, like it's that kind of stuff where (laughs) we we've never really had the ability to do that before. That kind of stuff that's only been, you know, fodder for science fiction stories seems to be getting closer and closer to reality now, which is really, yeah, sort of scary and interesting at the same time. Well, that is interesting. I'll put links to both of those pieces in the show notes, as, along with that Thanos video that you did, which has like over a million views, by the way. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, but now we wanted to present uh, an interview from the set. Yeah. So we got to speak with a bunch of people, the producers and the visual effects people. But uh, John Favre was actually really, really generous with his time. He spoke with us for probably, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or something on that day, which is pretty rare for a, a director, especially of uh, a project of this size to take that time out and, and tell us about this movie. But um, I, I yeah, I, I grabbed about, I don't know, 25 minutes or so of the most interesting stuff from uh, his conversation with us and you'll hear like a Q&A portion of the conversation where we talk all about uh, the movie and and his relationship with the original film and why he wants to make this movie and, and all sorts of good stuff. So, uh, yeah, here is John Favreau. So now we're, we're more doing character design and R&D and, and developing environments. Uh, so the work is more exploratory uh, with MPC at this point and servicing the pipeline and then and then it will become about refining it and making it look beautiful uh, as we go on and really zeroing in on it and I made sure I, we have lots and lots of time to do that in uh, in our schedule because that's where um, I think I don't think people understand especially people uh, you know when, when, when you get to the uh, further and further up the up the ranks that just because you can change things later and it, it, it Sometimes you, you, you're, you're taking the risk of compromising the quality. And um, I, I find that what the flexibility of digital production has done is given opportunity for people to uh, postpone being decisive. Because it used to be if you, you know, if you built a big animatronic dinosaur, you had to make sure you got that shot right and <laughs> framed right and it worked. And you could fix some things in the editing room, like Jaws. You know, you could, you could, you could. Uh, if you're a genius, you could, you could work around things. 
uh, like Spielberg mm -hmm. did, but but for the most part, you and then, and then something started to happen where visual effects became more and more convincing, and, and, and there were more people doing them, and the price came down. Uh, a lot of times you'll be on a set and people say, okay, here it is, let's just shoot a plate and we'll figure it out. And well, that has to be figured out later. And then if somebody sees that, doesn't like it, and wants to change it, it, it becomes very, um, it becomes a challenge. And so part of this experiment is to see if we really lock in early, as animated films do, and spend all of our time refining. And really, uh, but, which isn't to say that we don't, uh, that we don't, um, Examine story, because really, what animation—going back to Walt and, and and the process that that he innovated in Pixar and, and, and Disney Animation and all the successful animation houses now do—is you have a story department and teams of people who are really challenging the story before you ever commit to anything digital. And so that's something we really wanted to emulate here. And plus, we were working off of a story that works really well. So. So just to answer the question, we, the more we looked at it and the more we challenged the story, there were certain things that needed, uh, that needed addressing to make it feel more appropriate to this medium. But as far as the characters, the story, the themes, the music, we really felt that people were very connected to the original. And so hopefully if you are a fan of the original, you'll look at this and say, oh, it's this, I feel like I saw Lion King. Just like when you see the stage play, you still feel a connection to, to the animated film. Uh, but if you really look closely, you'll realize that we're actually taking a lot of liberties with it, and we're even changing things slightly with scenes and structure and uh, the humor, and, and then the music is being, um, although we're uh, staying true to the original uh, soundtrack, working with Hans Zimmer, who would like another crack at some stuff too, That you know, because that was, you know that was we look back at Lion King and remember it as a classic, but at the time it was a you know there were a lot of challenges facing it, schedule wise, budget wise, uh, and people were at, at early points in their career, and now now they know it well, and it's an opportunity to to uh, allow them to to bring more to it. Um, and uh, but there are images that we know we need to have because they're just indelible; they're in our minds. Hey everybody, it's Ben, just jumping in for a little bit of context here. At this point in the set visit, Fabro showed us essentially the first teaser that people saw at D23, and then he showed us a brief clip that is basically, it's not a clip that appeared in the movie, it was just a, a visual effects test that they did featuring Rafiki. It was indistinguishable from any nature documentary I've ever seen, it looked fantastic. So when we come back in to the audio in just a second... It will be after he showed us that clip, and I think at one point later on in this interview, he mentioned something like the Rafiki footage or what you just saw or something like that. So I just wanted to sort of give you guys the uh, the full picture of what we saw there. And now, back to John Favreau. Okay, there's something we're definitely hitting with the next, whatever that next thing is, we're there. And and some of it is 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 um, the rendering tools and some of the... But, but a lot of it, I think, is the artistry. A lot of it is is the animator knowing not to push it too human because it gets weird. Especially when it's that photo real, it could get weird. So you want to keep it, and that's why we that's why we do combinations of, of studying what real animals do and, and having keyframe animators who know how to present it and having lighting situations that are um, realistic and and designs of the environments that are realistic and. 
it's one of those things where the weakest link is what ruins you. And so it's just keep figuring out what the weak link is and just either making creative choices to avoid things we can't do well yet, or seeing something like that and letting us lean into, wow, this character could really hold up to this type of camera work, and these lenses are what looks good. And, and so we're doing this with all our characters. Um, and uh, it just is a very, it's very exciting to be involved with not just a movie like this where people are curious and want to know what we're doing. That's fun. That's I'm, I'm a little spoiled from the from the Marvel stuff too, where people are really care and are anticipating what you do. That's fun because you feel like you're Gandalf showing up at the fireworks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big treat. Uh, but also to be able to use these tools and technologies that aren't really being used to depict these kind of images. It's, it's, it's mostly being used for the stuff that's, it's, it, it takes a lot of people to do that, and that's, that makes it expensive, and so the types of movies that use this level of technology are generally movies with a lot of action, explosions, spaceships, hard surfaces, superheroes. And I think it's great, because it helps push it. I, I'm a fan of those movies too. But it is nice to be able to be in this part of the garden where we can say, hey, let's really look at what a leaf looks like, or the way water moves, or the way wind blows grass, and create just really beautiful, arresting images. And, and, and that, what, what amazes me is that there's not a lot going on with those tests of Rafiki there, but I just am riveted. There's something inherently interesting and captivating about seeing that level of simulation. And, and, uh, and so, that's going to inform our storytelling as much as anything. Because we, when we look at the pencil sketches, we have to remember that's what it's going to look like. So let's let the music play. Let's let the cuts. No, let's not be worried about it getting boring. Let's keep let it breathe a little bit. And it gives us confidence to make filmmaking decisions that you normally wouldn't get to make until you look at unless you're looking at real footage that went through a camera, and then you see that in the editing room. Here we have to kind of guess how how it will turn out. Uh, any questions about any of this? I'm actually curious about mouth movements because you've got it's gotten so unbelievably photorealistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like mind blowing. Um, so when you have them speaking, or was there a particular animal that posed a, a problem? In Jungle Book, we found certain animals were easier than others. Um, the wolves were hard, and the bears were harder because I think they had big snouts. But we found with Bagheera. And Shere Khan, because um, cats, big cats, have kind of more uh, anthropomorphic faces. It wasn't as distracting. And we found the level of subtlety that we needed for the phonemes. And, and also, it's interesting because we, we, we were listening on the uh, 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 additional materials on Bambi. They, had tr they read transcripts from the writers' rooms. And, and, and Walt Disney was wrestling with the same thing because they were going from Snow White to, to Bambi and trying to go photoreal at the time. And one of the conclusions they reach is, oh, don't have the adults talk. When the kids talk, it's easier than when the adults talk, or cut around it. And so there's like actually tricks that, that they were coming up with from back then dealing with the same problem. I think what, what, what's encouraging is it never felt like it, it took you out of it on Jungle Book. And so that makes us feel comfortable that we can do it here. The animals uh, accept the, the, the speaking more. And also the singing. I'm very lucky that the iconic song, of all these iconic songs, if you think about it, Circle of Life is not sung on screen. Can You Feel Love Tonight is not sung on screen. They're part of the score. So you have Can't Wait to Be King, and you have um, Hakuna Matata, and I think we get a pass on Hakuna Matata. It's kind of fun. So if we <laughs> can make that, I think we could sell it. You know, I'm pretty confident with that. It was the thing I was most worried about with Jungle Book, though. Yeah. 
John, you've worked with you know cutting edge filmmaking tools for a while now, yeah. but it keeps changing, and you keep having to keep in step with it. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about balancing <laughs> that, I don't know, that technical expertise that you need to have to make movies like this with those creative fundamentals and that the creative inspiration that you're trying to bring to a high-tech process. Like I, I try to take a, a, the lesson from the animators and, and what they say, and I believe them, is it's story always first. So start with good story, start with subjective emotional filmmaking, and let the tools service that. And, uh, and then if you see that you could do a, a certain magic trick well, stick that in your bag of tricks. But it's not like I have a vision for something and I'm figuring out how to make it happen. Most of the times I'm looking at what works well and figuring out how to creatively uh, work that way. But I'm not a, if you remember earlier on, I really stayed away from this stuff. Elf was forced perspective, there's no digital effects for any of that, any of the scaling differences uh, in there. I, there's some visual effects at the end with the reindeer, but I tried to do everything. And even Zathura was motion control models for the most part and practical sets. And, you know, I used digital work to help things along, and then we used it for some of the creatures. But I always felt that that was, you're always better off filming something really. Even Iron Man, I had real suits and sometimes digital. And that's where I started to feel like, okay, now it's, for hard surfaces, we're there. I, don't, I can't tell the difference. And then as we got to Jungle Book with the fur and all of that, I started to feel really good about that water, uh, even the fire. So I start to, it almost, I, 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 once, it, once the tech proves itself to me, then I consider it part of my, uh, a tool I can use. But I'm still ultimately skeptical about, to me, my, the best visual effect is one you don't know is there, not one that draws attention. It's like, a, it's the same thing with photography. If anybody's saying, what a great shot, it means they're not really immersed. Uh, I like when a great shot helps you feel more involved, and so I think visual effects are the same way. So I'm a tough, I'm tough when it comes to it, because I'm very quick to say I don't buy it yet, or I think we could do better, or, or we have a better shot. We've done better before, and that that comes from the chef training from uh, <laughs> from working on chef. Is if you if you hold the whole group to a, to to a, a high standard that you know they could achieve, then and and, they, and there's a pride that comes with that as they see how good the work is, it starts to starts to build on itself and then having having gone through uh, battle with a lot of these people already and giving them the room and respect to do what they do and let them do it well and not rush them and you know whenever possible then uh, it's you know I find that you get it turns into something really really nice and because they're all the tools aren't that different everybody's using Maya everybody's using similar rendering equipment so it's, it's really about the artists and, and appreciating them and hiring great ones and, 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 and letting them do their work and not treating them like they're another piece of equipment, but, but that they're partners in filming. So when you um, talk about this as incorporating so many elements of live action filmmaking and being in many senses a live action film, even though the end result, everything is going to be you know, created on a computer, mm -hmm. um, at that point, is it still meaningful to talk about a distinction between live action and animated films? Well, it's difficult because it's uh, it's it's neither really. I mean, it it it, it would you know it depends what standard you're using because there's no real there's no real animals and there's no real cameras and there's no there's not even any performance that's being captured that's data underlying data that's real. Everything is coming through the hands of artists. But to say it's animated, I think, uh, is misleading as far as what the expectations might be. And it also changes the way you sit and, and watch it, because hopefully it won't feel 
you could just watch it without it being introduced. If we put up that Rafiki footage and then say what it was, some people might know, some people might not know how it was done, but it, it would be very, it, it, would, it causes you to be present and mindful and pay attention because you're trying to figure out what you're looking at. And, and that's, a great, that's a great disposition to be in as an audience member. I remember when I saw Gravity, I didn't know what I was gonna expect, I just heard it was cool. I didn't know how they did half the tricks and I was completely uh, drawn in by it, and it was it was that it was the experience I remember going to movies for when I was little. Like you just it just washes over you. Uh, I think calling it live action is also not not appropriate either because it's it sounds like we're trying to present something that uh, that that isn't accurate. And I don't know what we're going to call it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you have a you have a well, no no. We were wondering what would you call it. I don't know. I don't know, but it, it becomes. But remember, things have to sort of fit into one clickable headline, yeah. so it's hard to to have the nuance. And that's why I'm glad you all came here to see it. And as if people are curious and they want to message it and you know figure out what it is, you know, it comes through. Ultimately, we speak through you. Yeah. Well, I would offer it's a much more sophisticated, naturalistic form of animation, and that's going to inform your story too. So what, it, what do you it does, but if we if we tell the story as you would an animated film, it would be very intense. So we're actually making adjustments. We're treating it creatively like a live action story as far as what we're presenting, and, and what we expect the imagery to be. But I think you're you're probably onto it. I mean, there's it's some version of that because the people who really want to get under the hood, I also don't want to take away from the people who are in there, really making these characters come to life with their with their fingertips. So uh, you know, part of it's being accurate. Part of it is being. Uh, uh, appreciative of, of the, my collaborators because this this more than any other film, filmmaking is, is I'm really just I'm sitting at the top of this you know this this huge uh, uh, collection of of creative partners and uh, it's it's humbling because you're you're you know you're helping to steer it and guide it and and manage it but really it's 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 the it's the flashes of inspiration and these wonderful grace notes that give it the quality that I, I get to stand here and present but really I'm I'm part of a a, a very big collection a, a synergistic a synergistic team that that and and that in and of itself especially as I get older that makes me very proud that I could be part of that and help that thing reach its potential. What is it about this story that personally that you want to tell with this version? I think, you know, I, I want to highlight really what's in there from the original and that's it's the whole circle of life and bad things happen, good things happen. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, it, not every scene in, in the movie is, is, is fun to watch. You know, there's sad, there's tragedy in it. Uh, but ultimately, what I like about it is that somehow after that whole experience, you walk away feeling inspired and hopeful, which is how I like to, it's how I like my stories. Everybody's different. It depends where you put the comma. If you end after Mufasa dies, different movie. <laughs> but, uh, I, I really like how, and as I go through dialogue, and especially hearing James Earl Jones say the lines, because he's you know the one character that actually was, is in both films, ours and the old one, uh, it's, it's moving. It, it still gets me. And uh, and the music also has a lot of soulfulness in it. And then there's something about, and we're really, as we do the music, as the stage play did, really exploring further what the roots of the music are. And because it's just such a tremendous emotional power and spiritual impact to 
hearing the, the, the choirs sing and, and, and there's something that feels very um, very ancient and powerful to it and that, that Hans and, and, and Elton John and the whole team somehow tapped into this wonderful thing that when you hear it, I mean I knew part of it when we did that, that teaser was like as long as you have the sun coming up and you hear that first those first notes like I'm, I'm already leaning forward and then we just have to make sure that everything we show either references the old film there's memories for people who never saw it and interesting for people who uh, memories for people who saw it and, rep, and just cool images for people who never saw any of it when you showed us some early footage from the Jungle Book you said that one of the reasons that you decided to create the environments digitally was so that you could sort of recapture the dreamlike quality of the original movie yeah. the Lion King animated movie doesn't have that same surreality right. so how did that alter your approach to this I think we want to I mean Seeing, seeing the early test stuff we have, I think you could make, if you use the right lenses and the right camera speeds and the right lighting and the right editing and music and sound, you can make it dreamlike because the real stuff is pretty dreamlike. So I think because it's Africa, it's a different thing and it's a different tone of story too. This feels very, this feels like um, myth, you know? And, and even though there's, and I think that's part of it is, is, is um, creating a tone that feels consistent for this medium, which you get away with other goofier humor, uh, more, more violent stuff too, because a cartoon kind of uh, uh, sands those edges down. With live action, you have to be more decisive about, about things like humor and, and intensity of violence because it, it could they will get very extreme and not feel like part of the same film. So a lot of it is just being the shepherd of the tone of it and the ride of it. And then ultimately when you walk out, for you to say, yeah, I just saw, I, I, yeah, that's, that, that's what I remember about the old one. And if it's the first thing, if, it's, if you're thinking of introducing your kid to Lion King for the first time, that they're gonna be seeing Lion King if you bring them here. And then they'll wanna go home and watch the cartoon or they'll wanna go see the, the play or be in the play, like my, my kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the great live action cinematographers yes. of all time. I was just curious what specifically you wanted him to bring to this film again. I think, I think because it's a, a, because his, so much of what he brings is, is done through lighting and framing that I think of scenes like, you know, after Scar dies, uh, after Mufasa dies, spoiler, spoiler alert, <laughs> Mufasa dies, um, you're going to have the little cub and the and 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 the parent laying there. How do you show that image without it feeling? Because if you just showed it like you would in a documentary, I don't think it. I don't think it would. It would have a different. It would have a different impact. And and so that's one of the things is just facing the tonal challenges and giving it a, a lyricism, a visual lyricism that that <coughs> he does seem seemingly effortlessly. Also, his enthusiasm to engage this new technology and be there and be in the trenches and help innovate. So on the one hand, he's being taught how to use these tools. On the other hand, he's explaining to people who've never been on film set how lighting works. And as he's dialing in the lights digitally, he's passing that on. And I'm learning from him, too. And so uh, by making the tools work well with someone who comes from traditional filmmaking, we then can tap into that whole wealth of experience that he has. And that's a big part of why we built what we built here, is so that you're not forced to deal with, you know, in, in certain ways you're disrupting 
uh, filmmaking by uh, offering ways to do it that are you know that are different paths to it. But 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 I think equally or more importantly, we're preserving cinematic traditions and bringing people in who come from live action film sets and giving them a tool set for them to then bring that tradition forward because. People get very hung up on the technical stuff, even when you're looking at uh, 3D animation. It's what what kind of rendering, you know, what kind of rendering machine are you using? What are you, you know, uh, it, it really it's about the, the people. It's about the people who are doing, using those tools. It's like if you ever tried to use Photoshop. I mean, they have these beautiful things we have up here from Photoshop, it, but I try to use Photoshop. It looks like a, you know, SpongeBob. <laughs> you know? So it's it's just giving more and more refined tools to, to, to people who have skills, and then building those tools around those skills. And so we do it we do it for visual effects, but we're also doing it for everything you saw in there. And so Caleb is, you know, to me that's the epitome of that that confluence, that synergy, and and also. It's all about attitude because this could get frustrating because sometimes you're in there. It's like being a test. He's like a test pilot, you know. You know this. You're building a new engine for the first time to make this thing fly faster than any plane has flown. Sometimes that plane's going to be on the runway, uh, and you're going to have to come back tomorrow. And so we do. You know, there's a lot of that because we're building. We're laying down the train tracks as we're as we're rolling down the track. You've talked a lot. Sorry, you've talked a lot about. Um, Honoring the original film yeah. and staying true to it. How does having these new performers and voice actors sort of reiterate these iconic characters? Um, I, um, one of the things I think I've been very lucky with and have done well is casting throughout my career. And so in this case, it's I feel very that that I'm, I'm equally grateful on this one. Let's put it that way. They're just wonderful and. Uh, to find people who can sing and can perform and can um, remind you of and echo the performances that you remember, but also bringing something new and fresh and feeling like it's from 2000, whatever, 19 when it's coming out. Like it feels very current, but it also feels connected. And, and uh, having James Earl Jones, I think, really helped with that connection. But we have a wonderful cast that's, uh, you know, and, and you know, I'm there with my biting my nails, uh, waiting until we laid it all out, but now we have, we, we've recorded everything, and I feel very, uh, we haven't done all the music yet, uh, but but we've done the whole, we've recorded all the performances, and I feel really good about it, so I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> but it, it, it's something that hung heavily uh, over me, but but uh, I think I think will be one of our strong suits, and, and and it's good because we don't we're not changing that much, so it's good to have the things you are changing work and, and that's one that I, I think you will you will enjoy. Yeah, I mean that sort of goes to my question too, is that on a skeletal level, um, obviously the you said the movie works and it's gonna feel like Lion King and you have this stuff, but you have to justify it not just on the tech level, on the story level. So how much change is there? I know you probably don't want to talk to specifics, but there's there's it depends how well you know it. Mm -hmm. Like how much did we change in the circle of life? Yeah. Did you know, some of you might say, oh, that's shot for shot, but if we really looked at it, it's not. But you rem what you remember is going to be in the movie. Right. Let's put it that way. And then there's stuff, and that's something I learned on Jungle Book, too, and even to some extent on Iron Man, which is like, before we study the movie, the old movie, let's write down everything we know and everything we remember. And what are the things that we have to do? And it's a much longer list on Lion King, because everybody watched it in their minivan, in the back of their minivan <laughs> on DVD over and over again, right? 
the, the millennials grew up with this, and then, you know, and even I've seen it lots, and I was, a, I was an adult when it came out. Um, so I think, I think uh, part of it is just understanding the way memory works and the, what expectations are, and then being able to do things like, I think we could plus the humor here. I don't think this joke holds up as well. I think we could change the characterization of this, this uh, character to feel more consistent with the rest of the film, or more current and don't feel uh, like it's, um, you know, doesn't feel like it's something from a different era. And so a lot of it is that. And then of course with the music, it's just like, take it away, let's just, you know, let's just do, I know it sounds one way on the album, but if we could do it better in the live show, you know, if we could do better in the concert, let's do that. And so seeing that we really have to, we really have to blow people away with the, with the music and with, uh, and with the effects and the visuals and, and, the, and the casting. That's really, and, and, then, and then if we add a scene here or there, or remove a song or remove a scene, uh, make sure that it flows in and that it's something that makes it play better. But we stay, I, I'd say we're staying very, very close to uh, what you think it's going to be. Okay, that will do us for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of the stories we mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes, along with a uh, piece uh, showcasing what is the one shot in this movie that was actually filmed in live action. There is actually one shot. So I guess technically you can call this non-animated movie because of that. Is that why he did it? I don't know. Anyways, you can you can find that in the show notes. You can find more of us on Slash Film. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.